0: Do you want to be a better coach? Georgia Southern University can help. We offer a fully online master's in kinesiology created by coaches for working coaches. Our full-time faculty combines for over 100 years of coaching experience. Georgia Southern's program is nationally accredited, so you know you are getting quality. We pioneered fully online programs over a decade ago and have had students from 27 states and multiple countries. No matter where you are in the world, Georgia Southern University can help. There is no GRE requirement, and it only takes 14 months to complete. You start classes in May and finish the following July. We have coaches just starting out to veteran coaches over 30-plus years. So no matter where you are in your coaching journey, Georgia Southern can help. Follow us at GSCoachEd or look us up, and Georgia Southern can help you be a better coach fully online. Coaches, this is Coach Matt Dennis, and I'm truly excited and blessed to join Coach Furtado on the Championship Vision Podcast. If you're a coach looking to get better at your craft, you're really going to love this episode. If you'd like more great coaching content, I encourage you to check out other episodes on the podcast, as well as to head over to CoachMattDennis.com, where you can join my newsletter and sign up for a free trial of The Coaching Lab, where my goal is to help coaches find more success in less time. Players play to their strengths and in a more efficient manner. So we hop or we step in, whatever's more comfortable. Once that ball hits our hands, we defined a great shot uh, with room, range, and rhythm. So uh, you've got to have space between you and your defender. you got to be in your shooting range, and you got to shoot it with rhythm for it to be a good shot. If you shoot it with those three R's and make or miss, it's a good shot for us.
1: Coaches, welcome back to the Championship Vision Podcast, Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, today is a, I'm going back to my classic podcast series. This was episode 69 back in the day in July, 2019. Um, This is a great podcast. I had almost 1,000 downloads of this podcast of Coach Mark Casio. He's currently the uh, head uh, assistant women's coach at Appalachian State. Uh, at this, at that time, uh, he was head boys coach at Catholic High School in Louisiana. Cassio arrives at App State after enjoying a successful career as a high school basketball coach for 16 years in Louisiana with three teams. He has a career mark of 333 and 163, while posting 12 straight winning seasons in his 16-year tenure. Cassio has advanced to five. Louisiana High School Athletic Associates State Final Fours, highlighted by a state championship in 2012, captured seven district titles and won seven Coach of the Year awards. In 16 years as a head coach, he has led his teams to nine 20-win seasons and a pair of 30-win campaigns. In his most recent stop at Catholic High School, he led them to an impressive 174 and 77 record since 2013, while advancing to four Final Fours capturing four district titles and four Coach of the Year awards. Casio coached Christian Life Academy from 2010 to 13, where he was 75-20 and 20 with a state title and three consecutive seasons with 20-plus victories. In his first coaching gig, he led Catholic of Point Coupe to his first playoff appearance in seven seasons and doubled the win total between 2007, 2008, and 2009-2010. Cassio has conducted basketball clinics across the country while giving mentorship and consulting experience at the international NBA NCAA high school, AAU, and youth levels, in part with courtside consulting. Cassio and his wife, Christian, are the parents of two daughters, Eloise and Charlotte Kate. Coaches, let's welcome Coach Mark Cassio back in the day. So this is an old classic podcast. Welcome back, Mark.
0: Hey coach you got me? Mark how are you coach? I'm doing well how are you?
1: Good good can you hear me okay?
0: Yes sir how about you can hear me?
1: Ah uh, great great hey thanks for taking the time out I love uh, I always enjoy kind of um, interrupting coaches lives when they're busy <laughs> <laughs> um, but I tell you I appreciate you coming on you uh, Um, You know, I've been researching you and so forth. You're doing some great things in the game. Hey, Mark, tell our listeners about yourself and what you're doing with the game right now.
0: Um, Well, I'm a high school basketball coach at Catholic High School in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And um, we play a really up-tempo, fun style, uh, especially on offense. And so along with coaching my program, what I'm trying to do is just share as much as I can and serve as much as I can. We've had a lot of interest in the way we play. So um, the past few months, I've been spending time talking with coaches over the phone or over webinars or in person, uh, both high school and college, and just sharing as much as I can. And I'm actually learning a lot as well.
1: Well, that's great. So you're a Baton Rouge. You gotta, I'm assuming I'm a Georgia guy, so I won't, I won't take that personally. Uh, if you're under your LSU, I'm sure. Uh, but tell us a little bit. Yeah, tell us a little bit, Mark, about Louisiana basketball, because I have interviewed a lot of coaches from different states. I think it's important for us coaches from various states to kind of learn about the great basketball that's going around around the country. Uh, and I know you produce some great players out there.
0: Sure. I, I think Louisiana is, is – uh a great place to coach. Uh, there's always athletes, whether you're coaching football, basketball, baseball, or anything in between, uh, per capita, we have some phenomenal athletes here. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to be in Baton Rouge where, uh, just being in a, in a a little bit bigger city and being really close to new Orleans, uh, especially new Orleans basketball is really good. Tons of talent, uh, lots of great coaches, um, so it's really it's, it's really fun environment to coach in because you get to watch some really great players. But also there's some really great coaches that you have to play against. And it only makes you better. And, and we uh, have a great community where we like to share and learn a lot from each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, tell me some of the I've had some great mentors along the way because, you know, I, I'm always learning the game just like you. Uh, tell me some of the great mentors you have learned from along the way, whether that's high school or college.
0: Um, Kipper Todd was one. He was a very good motion and man-to-man coach and really, really excelled in the practice setting of being very efficient, uh, running a very organized program. Um, another one was, was Doug Novak when he was at Tulane. is it, really good when it comes to player development and offense and spacing. Um, so those guys among many more, just especially my peers around here. Um, but those two guys had a really big influence on me in very different ways, but I've taken a little bit of what they do and really molded it into my own. And I think that's so important for coaches is as we go through our coaching career is figuring out what really fits my style, my philosophy, my beliefs, the way the game should be played and adapting that to you instead of trying to run somebody else's stuff or coach like somebody else.
1: Yeah, and that's hard to do, particularly for a beginning level coach as an it, a Mark. And I know you have a consulting, and I was really, um, I was really impressed because I'm one of those that I'm always seeking out information. I run my own clinic, and I do a lot of stuff. Um, but I'm an old man. You're still, you're still young. So I'm impressed with that, that you're doing all that. Um, Tell me about your courtside consulting program for coaches. What's the purpose of that? And give me some examples of what you've done for some coaching or some programs.
0: Sure. So um, for me, I think the, the way this all began was, like I said, we all try to share with each other and, um, some some film would get out or I would put some clips on my website or my Twitter page and I would get a lot of inquiries a lot of emails a lot of text even from coaches that I would compete against they would say hey look love the way y'all play y'all are really difficult to prepare for could you share some some ideas with me and uh, I went just years of just sharing and, and, and trying to to share the game but it kind of got to a point where I was being pulled in a lot of different directions, and I just got really passionate about helping other coaches. I, I think as coaches, sometimes we can have a lot of tunnel vision of our program, our team, and impacting our players, uh, and all that is really, really important. But in the last, I would say, four months, something just clicked with me and that if I could I can help other coaches just the way other coaches have helped me, then I can have an impact far beyond my program. So um, I've helped coaches through webinars uh, develop an offensive and defensive philosophy that fits together. Uh, I think it's really important that the way you play on offense matches the way you play on defense uh, and, and to accelerate their pace and transition. Uh, we play very high powered downhill offense where I've helped coaches adapt that style, but put their own flair on it. Um, I've, I've gone in person and just talked about how we develop our skills and um, our style of play. So I've had coaches that'll say, well, look, not sure that your offense exactly works for me, but I love the way that y'all share the ball. Uh, Can you, can you come visit with me about just how you build that? And, and my thing, as a coach, when you develop a clear identity, then your practice planning becomes very simple. Uh, it's very streamlined, efficient. So now you have more time to do those things that we typically cut out, like shooting. We, we shoot 30 to 45 minutes every day because we're very streamlined in our approach and how we play. Um, so the way we play has just become part of our DNA. So what I really challenge coaches to do is let's pick a style. For me, it's conceptual and fast paced and fun, but let's just be who we are and not try to pull everything from underneath the sun and make it fit to your program. Uh, So first we always really concentrate on establishing that identity of who you want to be. And then I just, help coaches walk through the finer details, uh, through, you know, Q and A's or webinars or in-person clinics.
1: Yeah, it's great. Just coaches helping coaches. Right. I mean, and I, I don't, I'm not sure if that's enough being done. You, you mentioned a good point about coaches kind of protecting their own, um, their own home almost kind of say, I'm not going to get out and tell them, tell us about tell anybody about our program, but I think it's important for coaches to sit down and share is I don't think there's any secrets out there. I would guarantee everybody has a good scattering report on your system, but you probably do an excellent job of teaching it. So what do you do? I think what separates coaches is the ability to teach. Um, what do you think?
0: Absolutely. I, I mean, it's uh, – any system, I think, can win, a, can win a championship or can be really successful. Um for us, and I, I think you touched on a great point where coaches don't want to really share, but at the same time, there's no secrets. Uh, I've had many coaches that I play against say, "Look, I, I don't, I don't think what y'all do is super complicated, but what we really have to prepare for is y'all spacing." And I always go back to the Chuck Daly quote, you know, offense is spacing, spacing is offense." Sure. And as a young coach, I would read that and I would say, "Man, that makes perfect sense." But I, I wanted my teams to be well spaced, but we weren't maximizing spacing. So the number one thing that we've done is maximize spacing on the floor offensively. Uh, and that's all we're really trying to do is create space, create advantages for our players, and then develop skills. So the way we teach our, our system is we really start with skill development and The beauty in it is, is when you take a player for four or five years in your program and your number one priority as a coach is making them a better player, then you have no idea how good they can become until they're when they're a senior. But if I take that same player and just ask him to screen and be a defense and rebounding guy, I think as a senior, you're going to have a little bit better screener, a little bit better rebounder, a little bit better uh, defender but you're going to wish he could do all those other things. You know, uh, Johnny just hasn't developed the ability to shoot or to drive or not a great passer. Well, maybe that's because you haven't asked him to do that for four years. So um, I think the players really buy into it because your number one focus is developing them to the best players they could be. And then we know that no matter what our personnel changes year to year, that our team is going to be maybe not as talented, but more skilled every single year. Uh, so we start with skill development. And we start from the ground up. We're really big on footwork. Uh, we have our guys fight for their feet on every catch. I think the the number one thing you can do to put pressure on a defense is one, be well-spaced, but two, have all five guys on the floor be a threat to score on every single catch. Um, and the analogy I always use is if we go play pickup basketball and every time I catch the ball if I'm just kind of looking for action off the ball or if I just look like a passer on every catch internally in your mind you're thinking well this is going to be a pretty easy day I don't have to do very much Uh, and we never want our uh, the defenses that we're facing to feel that way is that we can cheat we don't have to close out very far we don't have to get in the stance because my guy's not going to do very much Um, So we use that approach to where we're always fighting for our feet. We're always a threat on every catch. We give guys freedom to shoot the three. Uh, Anytime the ball is in the air, we want them thinking this shot is for me. Uh, So we're really, really big on being selfish on the catch. We want guys thinking their shot, their drive, and men, we're going to share the ball, which is kind of a 180 in my coaching uh, career that I've taken uh I, I like our guys to be worried about their feet, their vision, their shot, their drive, because uh man, I know when we face those offenses, those are the ones that scare me when I'm scouting and watching film is they got five guys on the floor that can really score it. This is gonna be tough. Uh on the other side of the coin, I know when I watch a team and they're really heavy on running offense. I kind of – I'm okay with that because I know that we can prepare for that. Uh, so I would rather face a team that that runs offense than a team that tries to score.
1: Yeah, I love that. I, I, and I can definitely relate to what you're saying. Because um, I remember I, I contacted you and I said, hey, you know, I, I haven't watched a lot of the video you sent me yet on your drive in space, but we are – I coach girls. Now it's a little bit different. But what we do is um, we run what we call our system, and it's driving kick. It's five out, or sometimes I put a four out post on the weak side, and literally our girls, when they catch, they're looking to racket, looking to attack the rim, and and at the girls' level, girls can't stop the ball. So mm-hmm. and we don't have a quick team. So even with non-quick teams, we get a lot of looks. But I like what you said earlier. Many of our issues are we have girls catching the ball and not prepared to attack. And that's what, we're, that's what we're continually trying to drill on. And that is when you catch the ball, you got to be prepared to shoot, shoot or drive. Um, tell me about your drive in space now. You run a four-out, five-out. Give me some key concepts that we can utilize here at my school.
0: Okay, so we have been four-out the majority of my career. Uh, but this past season or really two seasons ago, we started being a positionless program and it wasn't something that I forced. It, it just goes back to that development part of, you know, we just had basketball players that were all sizes, but we treated them as a basketball player and we didn't give them a position. We just developed them into who we wanted them to be guys that could shoot, drive, pass, handle the ball. Uh, so the fruits of our labor really paid off uh, these past two years where I didn't want to be a coach that said, Hey, look, you're six, eight, or you're six, five, or you're six, two, but you're our biggest player. So we need you to play in the post. Sure. So we developed a, a five out system, but with unique spacing. So we keep a two guard front, whether we're four out or five out. And what I like about that is there's always a double gap on the floor and we use our cutting rules to create triple gaps. And the old saying is like, you know, you need a great player to play through a single gap. A pretty good can get through a double, but anybody can can gain advantage in a triple gap. And um, so we create space. We create advantages. And really, once we do that, it becomes an application of skills. So what I really love about this system is there's no separation between skill development and offense. When we are working our offense, our players are just applying the skills. When we're doing skill development, we're just teaching them the things that they need to do su- to, at a high level to be able to run offense successfully. Uh, so anytime we're playing, let's say we're playing a small-sided game or even five-on-five, as a coach, I'm looking through the game through a completely different lens of are we using our skills because I know my guys can run our offense because our offense is strictly spacing and and it has more in there. There's some unique things that we do. Um, the, the engine that kind of makes us go is when we pass guard to guard. And that's what was so important to be four out, five out. I needed two guard fronts because that's where we create our triple gaps for each other. Um, we, we are a drive-in-space team that stole some dribble-drive concepts, although we keep streamlining and taking things away. Uh, we took away the drop zone. Um, we add some, some plans for our guys where if, if we're facing a, a superior defense or a defense that's just as good as we are on offense, we've got some built-in plans to where we can now screen and create advantages but we don't try to do both of them at the same time. So I've talked to a lot of coaches that are read and react coaches or motion coaches. And they say, you know, we run all of this, but really we're a drive and kick team. And the issue that I see with that. And again, just my personal opinion is when you have your guys basket cutting or screening, you're hurting your spacing. And if you buy into the offensive spacing, spacing is offense then you need to make sure that your players are at optimal spacing at all times. So we've found a way to play downhill without the screening unless we need it. So we're not going to be a lot of dribble drive teams uh, fear the pack line because they're clogging the paint uh, or um, if they're switching some of your stuff. A lot of times it's, we feel the need to abandon what we're doing and go to set plays or, uh we have we have five out motion in our back pocket for us we would look like driving space screening game and that could be whatever you want it to be ball screen princeton motion we would go driving space screening game and that gets us seamlessly back into driving space so we just keep alternating those things seamlessly until we get a great shot
1: yeah and now those are all great concepts um tell me about this. We love the three. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why teams are not going to respect you unless you can shoot the three point shot. And then what that is, that opens up our, our drive and our, our layup opportunities. We spend a lot of time because we're a small coach. We're very small. Uh, we really believe in the three point shots. I mean, it's almost out of ordinary how many threes we take per game. Um, but it also opens up our driving ability too. And I love your concept about pass and cut. That's one area that we're really, really working on hard. Don't you agree that the pass and cut opens up the driving gaps?
0: Absolutely. And one thing that we've adapted is we don't basket cut anymore. uh, Okay. Because we feel like I think when you run that, it becomes an action that you run that, like you said, it's more to set up a gap than it is for a give and go. So what we keep doing is like we we run this cut, but we really don't score on it, but it creates space. Well, let's create a, a cut that just creates space where we don't have to go through the process of teaching our players the quote unquote offense. We just teach our players how to create space. So If you watch us play, all of our cuts are going to be at 45 degree angles, whether we throw down or across, we're never basket cutting. And with those 45 degree cuts create our spacing, they might create some rubs where you get some illegal screens. Um, But what it does is it's always creating a double or a triple gap. And now when you get a catch as a basketball player, you don't have to think. Am I looking give and go? Is this girl or boy open or, um, you know, do I is he do I need to hold as a cutter to keep that gap open off the ball? Or can I fill the top immediately? We've eliminated all of that to where when I throw to you, I cut away and you can just catch. Look for your three point shot. If your three point shot's not there, let's get into the paint.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I'm assuming you spend a lot of time on those, those basic skills right there. Um, we find, how do you teach, first of all, how do you teach your shooting technique? We believe in the hop. All my girls hop, and we never crash the boards with my shooter. We crash with four, but we, we, all, we teach out of the hop. What's your philosophy on the one-two step, the hop? How do you develop great shooters?
0: Great question. So, and, and I think you're right in line that a lot of your shot, your, your success of your shot comes from two things. One, the pass. We're big on throwing strikes, uh, moving the ball with perimeter, but throwing it on time, on target. And then equally as important is that shot preparation. Uh, so we allow our players to hop or step in. We typically start our players with Uh, We're a permanent pivot foot program. So if I'm a right-handed shooter, I have my left foot forward, right foot back. And we spend a lot of time being locked and loaded on the perimeter. As my hands, you know, usually when you catch the ball, you have to adjust your hands to get comfortable. Once my hands are set, my right foot is hitting and I am balanced with vision facing the rim. So we're always shooting rhythm threes. Uh, Now, if a player prefers to hop in, and I actually, I really like the hop in. I think it's a little quicker. I know for me, it's a little bit more comfortable depending on what side of the floor I'm on. That is 100% the player's decision. The only thing that I'm going to dictate is the permanent pivot foot. And a lot of coaches feel differently. A lot of coaches feel the same as far as the permanent pivot foot philosophy we could go back and forth. Neither is right. But what what seems right in my mind is I know as a player, I'm not comfortable with my right foot as a pivot foot. So if I catch and I step right, left and I establish my right foot as a pivot foot, I'm either a passer or I'm going to have to put the ball on the floor before I drive. But I'm not jabbing and driving by anybody with my right foot on the floor. I'm just I'm not a good enough player to do that. So. As a player, if a coach was putting me through a, a five-minute attack drill where we're going to do two and a half minutes with the left foot pivot foot and two and a half minutes with the right foot as a pivot foot, that right foot pivot foot segment for me is is meaningless. It it has zero carryover to the game because I don't one, I don't want to do that. I'm not comfortable doing that. So I'm probably not going to practice it very much and, and not get very meaningful reps. And now I'm spending half the time doing something I can't where I could do five minutes of what I'm actually going to transfer to the game. And uh, so now we let players play to their strengths and in a more efficient manner. So we hop or we step in, whatever's more comfortable. Once that ball hits our hands, we defined a great shot uh, with room range and rhythm. So Uh, You've got to have space between you and your defender, you got to be in your shooting range, and you got to shoot it with rhythm for it to be a good shot. If you shoot it with those three R's and make or miss, it's a good shot for us. At Dr. Dish Basketball, we're creating basketball shooting machines that accelerate player performance. With features like on-demand workouts, multiplayer stat tracking, and instant analytics, Dr. Dish Basketball is the number one source for basketball training. Whether you're training in your driveway, running a practice, or developing a workout program, we have the most innovative training solutions to help your players practice like they play. And just for listening to this podcast, you qualify for an exclusive discount. Just mention Championship Vision Podcast to your sales rep when you call in. For more information, visit drdishbasketball.com or call 952-873-2633. Again, that number is 952-873-2633. And remember, be better every day. Uh, When we actually shoot, and we shoot the ball at a very high level, um, I'll talk about how we teach shooting, and then I'm going to talk about an added benefit. But we shoot about 25 to 33s a game. Last year, the magic number is when we shot 28 threes. That was the sweet spot for us. There was of our 34 games last year, we had like 15 games where we shot exactly 28. And our effective field goal percentage was like 65%. That's um, great. So when we shoot, uh, we we, ver- we keep it very simple. Uh, we First thing is we just work on our players keeping it straight. We're not just me personally. I don't try to change a whole lot of shots. I don't get my players until they're freshmen. Uh, and really, I don't really get them until they're sophomores at the JV varsity level. So I, I just think unless a player is only a basketball player and really going to put in the time, can you change a player's shot? I'm interested in can you keep it straight? We're really big, and this is a Don Meyer thing, we're really big on aiming for the back half of the basket. So not the back of the rim, but if you had an aerial view of the rim, you want to aim for the back of the circle. Because they had a 2007 study of college basketball, men's and women's, Division one, and 70% of missed shots were missed short. So we all, and, and if you just watch your players in the gym, the next time you're with your team, just be a silent observer and look how many shots are being missed short. I guarantee you it's going to be more than the back half. Uh, there might, if, if you're missing right to left, you got some work to do. But <laughs> if you're missing front to back, guaranteed 70% of them are going to be front of the rim. So that's a cardinal sin for us. We put a piece of white tape on the back of all of our rims, and we tell them to aim for the piece of white tape. That box that sits under the rim, uh, that's where we put the white tape, and that kind of gives you a visual of the back half. Um, so to to get it to the back half, we want uh, our shot, our arc to be at least to the top of the backboard. Uh, so that's I guess about 14 feet up. Uh, so at least 14 feet, and aim for the back half. If we do those three things, along with holding our follow through, we feel like we're going to be a really good shooting team, because. In our offensive system, since we're not doing a lot of screening and moving off the ball, 90% of our three-pointers are stationary threes, and and that's where we've kind of made good shooters great shooters, and quite honestly, we have a lot of average shooters whose percentages are 37-38% because they're shooting stationary threes. We're not asking them to square their shoulders, uh, come off screens. Uh, everything is stationary with room range and rhythm.
1: Yeah. And I love that because I see so many, and that's, that's almost another podcast there coach, you know, kids trying to come off a double stag. How many kids can come off? I know at our level, how many kids can come off a double staggered screen ready to catch and pop? I mean, that's, that's rare. Um, we but they can catch have, we have- and drive. I mean, but that's tough.
0: Right. We we have two players in our program right now that could probably come off a stagger, or like some floppy action and make that shot consistently. But these guys are two phenomenal shooters. I mean, might be the two best shooters I've ever coached. And I just don't want to predicate my offense on getting those shots. Um, <laughs> exactly. I just, there's a lot of sets in the NBA and the NCAA level that are really good stuff. But I don't want to win and lose games that way. I want to win and lose games about the way we've been talking, Uh, you know, creating space and and shooting layups first. Uh, Obviously, we're going to shoot a lot of threes in this system and get into the free throw line. How we create those, every coach has their own philosophy. I think if you're playing in space and creating stationary threes, you're doing it right.
1: Yeah, and I love that. And we run – this is going to sound crazy here – we run five out against zone and, and i 'll just give you an example we've won so many games against bigger, stronger teams they don 't know how to guard it, and what we do is we we drive and drag, so we drive the gap we drag that girl behind i mean there 's nobody around the zones don 't know how to guard five out um, mm-hmm. and i think I, I just I just love that uh, and it 's given us so many uh, we love zone we see a zone we absolutely love it um And where we actually struggle is when teams come out and really pressure us full court because they get us kind of a little bit out of our rhythm. I'm not going to tell the coaches that, (laughs) but uh, we love zone. What do you do against zone? Um,
0: Great question. And and I love your one. I love your, you know, drag behind the, the drive because one of the, we teach our guys concepts. So, we're not going to be hypocrites and say we play conceptual against man and then we run zone offense Sure, because I don't want to wait for my short corner cutter to get there because then I, as a coach, I'm going to be screaming attack, attack, attack. And then when we don't wait for the short corner, but the short corner was open, I'm going to be screaming, wait for the short corner. And I have been guilty of that. And so my philosophy has changed where we teach guys concepts. One of those being, like you said, go where the ball came away from because you're dragging a defender away from their area and now you can play against the grain back to that. So I think that's a great concept. It's one that we talk about, but before we do anything, we get aligned. Uh, If we are facing an even man zone, we're going to be in an odd man front. If we're facing an odd man front zone, we're going to have two guards in an even front uh, alignment. Typically a two one two against a, even, uh, an odd man front zone and a one three one against an even man front, probably what most people do. I would say the different thing that we do is we don't move. So we really take the approach of we're not going to run offense. We're going to try to score. I think a lot of coaches, when they think transition, we've all done the whole, you know, the ball moves faster than any player can. So point guard, get that ball out of your hand and pitch it up the floor. Well, we bring that mentality to the half court. And we know that if we are aligned well and we're in gaps and we move the ball really quickly, that that ball is going to move faster than any zone defense can. So we're looking to move the ball as fast as we can, like hot potato. Uh, the, the the game that you play as a kid, hot potato, move the ball as fast as you can, get the defense working, let's distort the zone, create some east-west closeouts that we can now get into the paint and all of our man rules apply from there. As far as paint touches are really important, uh, paint touch kick out one more is even better, but we're playing with really good vision, we're going to start and stop very well, and we're going to make really great decisions because that's what we work on every single day, in-season, off-season. So we're big on don't move unless the zone absolutely makes you move. Uh, So we move the ball around as quickly as we can. We're looking for shot. We're looking for threes. We're looking for drives. But also a concept to teach your players is look and see who's guarding you. So I just got a catch. Did the player from the elbow come guard me, or did the player from block come guard me? And as you move the ball, just keep making mental notes. If it's always the player on the block, well, then the one more to your corner might be open or a catch and rip baseline might be open. But we're always taking a mental catalog of where are they coming from. Um, I would say nine out of 10 times, we don't have to move to score against the zone. So like you, I love when we, when we see zone, because if you're going to let our guys move the ball with rhythm around the perimeter, we're going to get some great stuff.
1: Yeah, and that's what good – well, your good defenses take you out of your rhythm, right, Mark? Um, and I think sometimes the zones um, kind of allows teams to kind of get back into a rhythm. Uh, but, hey, tell me I, – I tell you what I love to do. I have a really good junior player. Um, we like to pass, cut inside the zone, and post her or flash her in there and then get her back out. We find so many great opportunities inside – because defenses don't know how to guard zones, don't know how to guard cutters very good. Tell me about your mm-hmm. philosophy on. You, I guess you said you don't cut, but tell me about that as far as flashing players in into the gaps of the zone. We just call it windows,
0: right? We we call it real estate or, or gaps. Um, so we're always going to start the possession without moving because if if we can score without moving, why why move, right? Because I'm sure you probably get a couple reversals or flash from the weak side. Uh, and we would do the same. Uh, we, we let our guys play with a whole lot of freedom, whether it's man or zone. So we tell our guys, if you see real estate, take it. Uh, flash in there. One teaching point we've told our guys is stay in there for two passes. We found that when our guys would flash in, they would look for the ball. If the, if the ball didn't see them, they would just cut out but sometimes you're open on that next pass. So balls on the wing, I flash from the opposite wing to the high post. You might get the pass from the top of the key instead of from the, the original spot on the wing. So we tell our guys to stay in there for two. Um, when we do have to move, um, there, there is one thing the zone will do that'll, that'll force us to move a little bit. I tell my guys go have fun, pretend that you're playing, um, On a pickup game and the other team played zone, you're not going to call a timeout and draw up a zone offense and pick up basketball. What you're going to do is be spaced, you're going to share the ball, and you're going to attack gaps with the drive and with the cut. Uh, So I never want to put our guys in a box. I don't want them to have the mentality of like, oh, we see a zone. Now I've got to be really robotic because that's not how we train our players. It would be unconventional for us to be conventional against a zone. So I tell them, as long as we're spaced, as long as we're attacking, go have fun. And then if they need my help, we have timeouts or we have some quick hitters that will run to get us back in rhythm.
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, Freedom, right? I mean, I I, I, I hear about from my players all the time about freedom. Sounds like you give your kids a lot of freedom, even if they make mistakes. You sound like a coach where you're allowing your kids freedom. They're going to make mistakes long um, is that how you like to coach? I mean, because I think that's the best way to coach. It's not may not be the best way, but I think it's good for players to be free to move, make decisions, right?
0: Yep, and I and I would even I would say I would agree it is the best way to coach. I think that's safe to say because <laughs> if you want your players, you know, we all want confident players. We all want players that are willing to make plays. But if if they make a mistake and you take them out. It's really not freedom. So, there's obviously I've become a, a much more patient coach. I was a 21 year old head coach, and um, I don't think you're ever ready to be a head coach until you get those first couple years out of your system. But at 21, I can tell you, uh, patience wise, I wasn't close to being ready. Um, I, I thought, you know, I thought I was such a good coach that my team was just going to play perfect, and and that was ridiculous. Um, But I've figured out two things with freedom is, one, a lot of teams that run motion. I love motion. I was a motion coach. I think it's really good fundamental basketball. And I would try to sell my players on, hey, you you have a lot of freedom. You can pass cut. You can pass screen. We can turn that screen into a flare. You could cut into the post and back screen out. But players never never really connected with players because they want freedom with the ball. Uh, And when you're running that motion, it's, you have freedom off the ball, but as, as a ball handler, you're stuck in the, can I make a play or do I need to look at this stagger developing? So we give our players a lot of freedom with the ball, what they, what they enjoy. And if they make mistakes trying to make the right play, we're a hundred percent okay with it. And we try to create a lot of possessions within the game. We're a pressure man, to man team. So there's going to be a lot of possessions to where that, that turnover where you're just trying to make the good play, 100% okay. And we t- I think it's important for coaches to point those out in practice because our players will get frustrated and we're constantly saying, hey, next play. Don't let one mistake lead to another. Um, so, and then we'll tell them like, hey man, that's, some, that's just one of those plays that didn't work out, but uh, we saw what you were seeing. And along those same lines, what's really important in practice and something that I'm still getting better at is leading with questions. When a player, let's say a player turns the ball over, we're playing against the zone and, and your girls, they flash from the weak side, they weren't open, but your girl threw it there anyway and turned it over. I would, as a coach, I would jump in and say, Hey, high post wasn't open. Now I'm trying to train myself to say, Hey, what did you see there? and they might say i i didn't i didn't even see the defense you know or i if they say something like i just i just completely missed it coach i didn't see that girl that that picked off the pass then it's okay next play you didn't see her make sure we have a you know, let's let's try to get better vision next time but if they say well i saw that defender but i i thought i could get it there oh that's a powerful teaching point that well if that defender left the basket to take the high post what do you think might be open? Oh, the low post. Well, perfect. And if they figure that out on their own, you're just a resource instead of telling them what to do. And it's if they figure that out on their own, they're going to remember that and apply those concepts. And those concepts are much more meaningful going forward.
1: Yeah, and in one of my podcasts, and I know you have a lot of Mike Dunlap articles. And so Mike, Mike Dunlap is one of my favorites. I was fortunate to interview him and he's such a great teacher, isn't he? I mean he and it's the same concept you're mentioning ask questions, be patient um and allow the players to take ownership of their own game right
0: right i, I think the the one thing that sticks out with coach Dunlap is his attention to detail and, and you can tell his coaching philosophy is just so clear um he thinks very narrow in the sense that. He believes what he believes and he's going to try to get the most out of his players and his program. And that's the same approach that we take.
1: Yeah. I love that. And I, I want to talk about your website, because I'm really going to promote your website if you don't mind, because I think you have some great stuff on there, Mark. Um, you have clinic notes and I'm a, i am aii run my own clinic and I'm a clinic. I I just, I don't think there's enough clinics going on in our country. And I know there's a lot of good ones, but, how can you got some great clinic notes in there and I've collected clinic notes myself over the years. What's the value of going to a clinic, not seeing it on YouTube, but actually going to a clinic, which I really try to promote.
0: I became a clinic junkie, uh, especially, like I said, a 21 year old head coach, I had a whole lot of questions. So I had to find some answers and I started going to clinics and, um, one, I, I think more value in seeing it in person, it's more powerful. It resonates with you, uh, but also uh, visiting with the other coaches that are at the clinic, uh, building relationships. Uh, then you have a whole nother set of resources available to you, uh, just friends in the business. So I think that's really important. Uh, and then you never know what situation you're going to be in. Like for me with my website. um, I obviously want to share as much information as I can, but it's also a great way for me to organize my stuff and to refer back to. So everything on my website is tagged to where if you click uh, Villanova at the bottom of my website, anything I have on Villanova is going to pop up. So really easy for other coaches to find, but selfishly, really easy for me. Uh, if If I go see... If I see Villanova play on on TV and I really like something that they do, I can go to my website and say, "Do I have anything on that?" Oftentimes, I'll surprise myself and I do, because I've collected these notes for the last fifteen years, uh, and I still have much more to add to the website. It's just a fact of of going through it and, and deciphering it all.
1: Yeah, and of course, the old Don Meyer. I know you're a big fan of Don Meyer. It's the ability to go back and find information. So you got to be organized, right? In your clinic notes, how many coaches have a lot of clinic notes, but they don't know if they have them again, you know, but you, I think it's important for the coaches to have an organized folder or organized system of going back to the notes just for referral reasons and, and picking up uh, ideas that maybe they forgot.
0: Absolutely. And and another Don Meyer thing that's really important when you talk about clinics is, As a coach, it's really important to get all the information that you can and be really well-rounded because even if it's something that doesn't suit your philosophy, if an opponent runs it, you have a a better knowledge of it and you can recognize it faster. Like I think we can all go scout and run and see flex and recognize it, but there might be something out there like the Michigan two guard. Uh, We don't run that, but I think it's important for me to know that to one, as a consultant, If somebody wants to mix that into what I do, well, I know it. So I can be better at helping coaches, but selfishly to prepare my own team. uh, If they're running two guard, I don't have to sit there and break down the film. It's something I went to a clinic and already learned. Uh, So Don Meyer would say, get all the ideas that you can, but you can't use all of them. And I think that goes back to where we started and really narrowing your thinking and you create your philosophy and your system and take everything else out of the equation after that.
1: Yeah. And don't you think Mark, it's about, and the old saying is sharp, you know, keep sharpening the saw. I mean, even during the season, my best podcast, I call coaches during the season. I know I'm busy, but I don't know how many times I pick up one or two things that usually it's a veteran coach who's not coaching anymore, but I still pick up one or two things and say, "Hey, you know, I can use that now." Um, so, what do you think about? Everybody does it in the off season. What do you do during the in season to keep your mind sharp instead of just grinding it out all the time?
0: Uh, I try to read as much as I possibly can. Uh, I try to stay connected with like-minded coaches, whether in the area or around the country, and just. Um, like, like you mentioned, uh, you send forward the glass, I think, and your shooter gets back. And so just little things like that is just like, Hey, what, 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 um, details are you using or what teaching points are you using? What adjustments have you made, uh, from maybe your summer league to now we're going into the fall, anything you liked, didn't like, I'm just constantly having conversations with coaches, sharing articles, uh, sharing things from Twitter or YouTube that we pick up, uh, just, uh, I think anytime you're stimulating your thinking, that's a great thing, especially in season.
1: Yeah. I love that. I'm not sure if it's done enough, but I know it's a valuable, I mean, that's, that's valuable advice you just gave. I think it's important for coaches. Hey, tell me about, I love practices. I I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, kind of tell you a little bit about what we do and I want you to give me feedback. Um, I believe that you scrimmage, drill, scrimmage, drill. Almost, it's almost like a test. So we go back, and I don't like to drill, 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 then scrimmage at the end of practice. I think that's a waste of time almost. I think it's more valuable to go right into something at the beginning of practice to get their minds going. And then I, then I drill, then I, 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 go back and scrimmage again, then I really teach drill, uh, break it down for them. What do you think about that? Is that, how, how do you do your practice system?
0: I love that. And, and that's something that I've had to get better at um, in my coaching career is, uh, one, you know, we've always been very, very efficient, just because that's the the system I learned under was, Unbelievable. In fact, the coach that I, I worked under Bob Knight told him it was the best high school practice he's ever been to. So really fortunate to work for a coach like that. But I've had to challenge myself, we want to compete really early. And, and so I definitely agree with you. I like to compete early. We get them we get them. We we ramp up the engine. We get them going at a very high level in our warm-up right in the practice. And then when we go to our skill development, they've got so much more energy, juice. They're into it. They've already competed. They're breaking a sweat. I was guilty of like a crescendo practice where we're going to start with some drills. (laughs) We're going to pick it up with some small-sided games. And then we're going to go five on five. And some days you just stay at a flat line. And then those are the days where as a coach, you're yelling and screaming, you go home frustrated when all along it's, you know, it's hard to ask players to always start at a zero and end at a hundred. And that's, to me, it's kind of unrealistic. So we definitely like to get out, run the floor. Uh, Some the good thing is when we do our small sided games, we are running our offense because it's so conceptual that we don't have to do these small sided games and then work offense and we don't have to do skill development and then work offense when we're doing our small sided games or our transition or our, our skill development, we're working offense already. So by the time we get to the point where if we even do have to break down offense, we've already been competing with it to where now we can, uh, another Don Meyer thing is see the need, fill the need where, um, as a coach is we really need to get better here. So I'm going to, I'm going to do my job and have a block of practice for that, but we're going to compete really, really early. We're going to play a lot of five on five. So in our practices, if we're not developing direct, applicable, relevant offensive skills or small sided games or five on five, we're shooting. So really our practice comes down to really four things, skill development, uh, competing, whether that's small-sided games, 5 on 5 If we have to, we'll break down defense, but typically we get that in our small-sided game, and then we do a whole lot of shooting, uh, at least 30 minutes, usually 45 minutes a day, and we don't practice for two hours. I would say the longest practice we had might have been two hours last year, but we were more than likely hour and a half, hour to 45 minutes, and some of our best practices were an hour and fifteen minutes in the morning.
1: Yeah, you're keeping it, um, you're keeping it concise. You're probably getting more done, right? It seems in those short time periods. Um, I think it's a great idea. I think I think the biggest problem we all have, right, Coach, is we overpractice, particularly at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, we practiced. I gave my guys almost every weekend off. This past year, the only time we practice on a weekend is we we're coming off, you know, a holiday and uh, we had already been off for a few days, but we, we used to go six days a week. We go max five now and for a shorter amount of time, but we're playing so much more and our practices are so much more competitive and physical and uptempo that I don't think it's realistic to sustain that for two solid hours. Um, uh, If you want to go two hours and and some of your practice be like kind of walk through and some of your practice be high energy, I think you could probably do that. It's not my style. I want just fast paced, aggressive, competitive for an hour and a half. Uh, That fits that fits the way we play. And I I think that's really important, too, is if you're asking your players to play like that, your practices can't be a whole lot of talking, can't be a whole lot of walkthrough. It's got to be up-tempo, fast competition because then as a junior, senior, that's all they know is I'm going to play really hard and I'm going to compete in everything that we do.
1: Yeah. And you got, I mean, I think that's so true. I think there's a lot of wasted times in practice. Tell me what you see when you go around to these other practices, what are some great things that you have picked up and what are some major issues with coaches who are struggling in their program? Are they, is it more of they're drilling too much or they're not really emphasizing important concepts? What do you, what do you see as the kind of the major issues with your consulting that you do?
0: Um, I would say the, the best practices are the ones obviously a little similar to mine, but I go and I pick up all kinds of things. I I think the best thing about doing this is I'll pick up some teaching points. Um, Same thing with going to a clinic is we already do this. I kind of like the way you do it a little bit better. Uh, So there's definitely a lot of great things that I see. I would say the common things is the coaches are talking too much. Um, And they are, you know, if it's a 10 minute drill, they're talking for, you know, six minutes and then that 10 minute drill, they get four minutes out of it where now that runs over and then they're constantly taking things away. And usually what I would see was, okay, we're going to cut some shooting today because our our five-on-five five went long. But to me, that like shooting is going to trump everything in our program because of the way we play. Uh, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good you are defensively or offensively. If you can't score the ball, Every not say you can't win some games, but it's a whole lot tougher. I know for us, when we shoot the ball well, we're almost unstoppable because we're going to shoot so many of them. Um, It it just makes up for so many other other things. So um, I, I try to challenge coaches for time on task. Use buzzwords. And when you're teaching, be the best teacher that you can be. Break it down. Be very clear in the way you're teaching it. Have answers to all the questions that your players might have. Uh, and that comes with establishing that clear identity. When it's time to rep it, when you're playing small-sided games, when you're playing five-on-five, you got to coach in bullet points or even better buzzwords. Uh, and just you're a resource for them in those small-sided games. Lead with questions, and then when they're playing five-on-five, I would challenge coaches: don't say anything. Uh, I read something, forgot where it came from. But when you say a player's name, it takes anywhere from like 15 to 20 seconds for them to refocus on what they need to do. And oftentimes, especially in the big games, they can't hear us anyway. Right. So when we play five on five, I try to be quiet. And then after that rep is over, if we need to teach something, let's teach it. Um, I know some coaches are big on an emphasis of the day. I think the number one thing that I've helped coaches with as far as their practices is, one, let's only blow the whistle if they're violating the emphasis of the day. And when you put in, when you're doing a drill, like we have drills that that work skills and offense, right, because we're directly aligned. On day one, I can't hold them accountable for A through Z. It's, I know that B through Z, they're going to mess up a little bit and it's not going to be the way I like it, but if they're doing a really well, I'm going to be happy. And then the next day we're going to do a and B. And then by the end of the season, when we get into February, March, I can say the name of the drill and I should see a through Z because that's, I think that's how you get your teams to peak instead of getting frustrated early in the season that they don't have it all together yet. Let's just hold, instead of holding, trying to hold them accountable for everything, let's just hold them accountable for a few things and keep adding to that to where end of the season we're, we're continuing to peak.
1: Yeah, and that takes a lot of coaching discipline, right? Particularly for young coaches, because we want to coach everything. And I guess over the years, and I've been doing this a long time too, less is better, right?
0: Yeah, keeping it really simple. I always say <laughs> we do el- we do elementary things at a very elite level instead of trying to do all these complex things at an elementary level because I feel like I'm a really good coach cuz we're putting in this really intricate offense or this intricate play or this, you know, asking our players to multitask. Let's just keep it very simple. Some you know these guys are high school basketball players, and some of them are just athletes that play basketball. They're not really basketball players, so um we keep things very simple, but we do it at a really high level and i've kind of i think for a coach, you kind of have to get over yourself and, and know that um you know you used to think really good coaching is is being on the whiteboard or or these intricate plays that work. Now, to me, is really good coaching is teaching your players how to play, and you're a resource to make them better when needed.
1: Yeah, sometimes your best coaching is is, is when you don't coach, and you allow um, – I totally agree with that. Some of my best practices is when I allow my players to I, – I I have five timeouts per practice and 30 seconds to a minute, and a lot of times I just allow the players, hey, What do you you think? Go get it done. I asked one of my leaders. What do you think about that? Allowing players, particularly girls, that you really have to train leadership, allow them to figure things out and rather than coach figuring things out. What do you think about that?
0: I think it's very powerful, and it's something that we continue to get better at. One thing, advice that I could give the coaches is decentralized command. So we, we have small teams within our team. We don't ask one or two captains to lead our JV varsity program. Uh, the military doesn't even ask leaders to lead big groups, yet we ask 15-, 16-, 17-year-old kids to do that, where we break our guys down into groups of four because we all want our players to speak up and hold each other accountable, but some people are just not going to be comfortable speaking in front of 20 people but they'll talk in a group of four. So, uh, before practice, we will get in our small teams and we'll tell them we'll do it a couple of different ways. One, everybody have an individual goal. Maybe it's mine's four deflections. Yours is going to be, you're going to give a hundred high fives this practice, whatever it is, set a goal for yourself. So you have a clear focus, uh, to that, or we'll do a small group goal where everybody's, everybody in your small group of four has to take a charge today, or everybody in your small group of four, let's all combine for 20 rebounds as a group. And we're going to hold each other accountable throughout practice. Hey, how many rebounds do you have? Uh, I've got four. What do you have? And then like your timeouts, what we'll do, we'll take a timeout and get into our small teams if we need some times to refocus. So that way, instead of it's timeout and coach doing the barking, it's just players communicating, holding each other accountable, picking each other up, all the things that we want to happen during games.
1: Yeah, I love that. Matter of fact, I'm going to steal that one from you. Is that all right, Mark? Absolutely. (laughs) I love that. I think it's better communication. Um, Because I think even in the film room, you know, we had the whole team in there. It might be better to do short sessions, maybe have one group practicing and bring another group. in. I know it's kind of, it's difficult to do, but you'll probably get more out of it.
0: Well, and, and here's something that we do with film. So we will watch film in those small teams and I'll do it a few different ways. I'll, I'll cut up five or six clips, maybe just like a minute and a half of film to where it's not a lot. And it might be the same cut up for each group, or I might give each group a different cut up and they present the film, especially if they have different, uh, if they have different playlist of, of, um, of film, they present it to the team to where again, as the head coach, I'm just the resource. I'm just the guy behind the scenes, cutting up the film. And you tell me what you see, what are y'all seeing? And, and here's where coaches, I think have have a, a hard time at that. Well, what if they don't say it right, right? Like, what if what if I make five clips and they completely miss the point? To me, that's really valuable. Well, now you know one, your players are missing the point, right? Uh, when you're standing at the front of the classroom or the locker room, talking about the film and they're missing the point, oftentimes you don't know until they don't do it the next day at practice, uh, or you get beat in the game and you say, "Well, we didn't that. We didn't get that. That film session was pointless." so one by having them speak it's more powerful two you know if they're getting the point or not and three if they do miss the point you at least know what they're focusing on um, so we had, and they'll, oftentimes they'll be harder on themselves than you would be uh, early this season I broke down some film we did our small group session and one group pointed out that um, we had like a paint touch, kick out, one more, we hit a three. And they talked about how like, you know, players one, two, three, and four did a really good job of crashing the boards. Our shooter did a great job of sprinting back. But player X was the only player on the bench that didn't stand up when we made that three. And I was just like blown away, just like, wow. Like for them to realize, one, to see that and two, to realize how important that is. Like, it, it, it was just, I was sold. I was like, this is the best thing we could ever do is have our guys present film to the team.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's a powerful point because our players are smarter than what we think. Right, Mark?
0: Absolutely. I, I <laughs> learn. that's another thing that I've learned is, is I learn from my players all the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's valuable. You kind of mentioned it in a different way. It's almost like, Quiz teach because you don't know what they need to learn until you quiz them, and after that you say, well your film sessions you can find out a lot about your players. It sounds like
0: yeah, and that's where it all comes back to leading with questions. Then you know what they're seeing, what they know, what they don't know, rather than you just telling them what what they should know um, because I always say communication is is information getting from point A to point B, not just point A using words, right? Like point B has to absorb that. And we do the same thing at halftime or timeouts. At halftime uh, they grade uh, basically our keys to winning the game, how well we're doing those things. And then they say what we have to keep doing in the second half and what we have to start doing in the second half. So while the coaches are doing our meeting and looking at some some important stats for us, they're talking uh, and they're trying to see, you know, what are we doing well that we have to keep doing? What are we not doing that we need to start doing? And really, that's what that's what halftime becomes about. Um, I was listening or reading something the other day of one coach has a key to winning the game. And they don't talk about anything else until everybody on the team has committed to that. So let's say it's rebounding and you're in the first quarter and, uh, you, other coach calls a timeout five minutes into the game. All you have to do is say, Hey, let's, what do you think about our rebounding? Let's grade our rebounding on a scale of one to five. And if it's a three, it's okay. Well, we're not, I'm not going to mention the turnover we just had or, uh, we're not really sprinting in transition because we haven't committed to the one thing that we needed to do to win this game. Uh, so I think that's really powerful, too, is we're not going to do anything else until we have committed to this point, And then we'll move on and help you out everywhere else.
1: That's that's some great stuff there. That's a Again, that's powerful. And that is sometimes as coaches, we try to emphasize too much. Right, Mark? I mean, hey, let, let me give you an example. And I know you got to go and I appreciate your time. Just kind of, kind of, um, kind of jumping on that that same point you just made. This summer we had um, we were having problem with closeouts, and you know in the summertime it's a lot of games, not enough practices. So before a summer league game, we were doing closeout drills. All right, and that's that's who that's who we are. We were we were practicing the details. We were doing closeout drills right before the game, not layups. So our whole emphasis was high hands you know, and and just simple concepts. And it's amazing that game, our closeouts got better and it's not complicated. Right. But we, instead we, maybe we emphasize, okay, you need to sprint the lanes. You need to, you know, seal better. It's like too much stuff. And then what happened though, Mark, is when we focus on that detail, everything else got better. Isn't that amazing?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I love that because your focus is going to be so increased. Uh, yes. Because now their their focus is on their it's one it's universal the entire team is is on board, uh, and then it's just like it, you're just so much more engaged, It's going to make you a better player. And that's something that I have to challenge myself all the time. Is in timeouts, one lead with a question, and then we might just talk about their their answer to the question at the very maximum. I'm giving them one more thing. And uh, I am still far too guilty of giving my guys two, three things, and then right. as they're walking out to the floor, I'm giving them one more thing. And um, I just, you know, if you can get one thing out of a timeout, I think that's a successful timeout.
1: That's a great point. And then, not only that, then the assistant coach is giving them one more. Right. <laughs> um, right. And never mind the parents, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. Hey, Mark, I really appreciate your time. I'm hoping you can come out September 14th out here to Georgia. I'll send you more information to our clinic. Uh, If I, if we would have met sooner, I would have invited you to come out and speak. Uh, We have seven speakers from all over the country coming in, Um, but uh, you're definitely invited. Um, We'll get, you know, if you want to come out, I'll send you more information, but we have coaches from all over the different types of states, but we would love to have somebody from Louisiana come on out.
0: Awesome. That would be great. In fact, I, I've looked up some information. It seems like it's made a great clinic. I'd love to come.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. Mark, thank you so much for sharing and so forth. I really appreciate you kind of giving us some wisdom. You really opened up my mind. I know you, you're you probably going to get a lot of calls and a lot of contacts from our listeners. How can people get a hold of you? Uh,
0: my email address is markcasio at gmail.com, M-A-R-K-C-A-S-C-I-O at gmail.com or Simply my website, coachcasio.com or on Twitter at Cassio So would love to to connect with coaches all over the country. Coach, thank you so much for this opportunity. This was a whole lot of fun. Wish we could do it again in the future.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. And uh thanks for sharing the game, man. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. All thank all you. Right. Take care.
0: Hey coaches, this is Matt Smith, the president and founder of United Basketball Clinics. Want to let you know about two great clinics we have going on later this year. The Hoosier Gym Coaches Clinic, August 23rd and 24th at the Legendary Hoosier Gym in Knightstown, Indiana. Vance Wahlberg, Dave Love, Doug Porter, Mike Neighbors, John Kaufman, and more will be speaking that weekend. All sessions are on the floor with live demonstration. Also, we have the Peach State Coaches Clinic in Atlanta, Alpharetta, Georgia, September 28th. Hernando Plannell, Charmin White, Gene Durden, Alan Whitehart, the staff from Georgia State University, and more. Please visit unitedbasketballclinics.com to register. Early bird pricing ends August 1st. That's unitedbasketballclinics.com. Same staff discounts apply. I look forward to seeing you there.
1: Coaches, I got an exciting announcement. On September 14, 2019, the Legends on the Lake Basketball Coaching Clinic will be back. Um, we're really excited to host a great clinic this year. Uh, we will have the top coaches in the state of Georgia and around the country uh, attend our 2019 clinic here at Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. The clinic will go from 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. We feel like we are the most unique coaches clinic in the country and that we will have a live demonstration team from Middle Georgia Prep School demonstrating all the on-court activities for the speakers. In addition, we'll have the best high school coaches from states like Georgia, Wisconsin, Alabama, Tennessee, Missouri, and New Jersey. We have speakers starting at 8 a.m., And we will have our last speaker at 3.45 p.m. We provide the coaches with a meal, snacks, shirt, everything they need in our beautiful new facility here at Lake Oconee Academy. You cannot go wrong. If you're interested in signing up for this clinic, I will give you a special deal. Please put a special code of legends And you email me at FurtadoK57 at gmail.com. I will give you a special discount if you come to our clinic. And also, I'll provide you any hotels that are close by the school. We're right off of I-20 here in Greensboro, Georgia. Looking forward to seeing all you coaches. Take care.
0: Hey, coaches. This is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at DrDishBasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at, at Dr B Ball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Hi, this is Matt from Court Cart. The court cart is a great way to store your basketballs and is handy at practice. You can lock up 24 men's or 30 women's basketballs with our zippered top. The cart is sturdy and easy to roll around the court. The cart is 269 with free shipping. The court board is a whiteboard that attaches to the cart so you can draw plays up on the court. The Court Cart Court Board Package is 528 with free shipping. You can find out more information on CourtCart.com. Man, it's such a pleasure to be on Championship Vision Podcasts one of the premier podcasts for top high school coaches and rising coaches in the game of basketball. My name is Michael Williams, and I'm the founder of the Williams Advancement Agency. WAA is a full-service agency here to assist all coaches at every level to be successful in the position they are now and obtain the future coaching position they are looking for.